this is a really good thing, a fun thing to do up here is, uh, is uh, invite those that have uh, made a commitment to be new members to our church up. Uh, I like doing this. I wish I did it more often, but this is a lot of fun. So we're glad to have you here this morning. So the, this morning, we're happy to have Larry and Vicki Gertham uh, come join our church in membership. Uh, Larry and Vicki have been through the process of membership here at Grace, which begins with taking the Membership 101 class, continues with completing an interview time with the pastor or elders, and concludes with this public ceremony of affirmation by the congregation. At this time, I want to ask Larry and Vicki to affirm a few requirements on the membership covenant. Larry and Vicki, have you trusted Christ as your personal Savior and acknowledged that your salvation is by faith alone through Christ's finished works and not on your own merits. Yes. Do you agree with the doctrinal statement and constitution of Grace Bible Church? Yes. Will you pledge to be consistent as God's providence permits in the regular assemblies of the congregation for worship, prayer, and matters of church business? With God's help, will you faithfully strive to grow spiritually, including regular Bible study and prayer, Witnessing to others and submission to the discipline of church leaders. And finally, will you strive to support others in the church in prayer, concern, love, encouragement, and material needs, and avoid behavior which does not edify others? Finally, I want to ask the con- you as the congregation to affirm the membership of Larry and Vicki. Will you agree to support, encourage, pray, and hold accountable Larry and Vicki as God enables you? If so, say amen. Larry and Vicki, given the congregation's affirmation, we want to welcome you as members of Grace Bible Church. And now let's bow as I pray for them together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for Grace Bible Church, for your creation, for the entire world, Lord. Uh, It's all about you, and we thank you for giving us that knowledge in our hearts and through your written word, Lord. And uh, as we pray for Larry and Vicki this morning, Lord, I'm just grateful that uh, you have led them to believe in you and trust them as your savior we pray lord that they uh, keep the faith throughout their life and uh, that they uh, continue to serve this church as they're now new members so we thank you for leading them here we pray lord that we be uh, a benefit to them and that they uh, they serve the church in a faithful way heavenly father just again thank you for the the day and all the blessings you have brought us we thank you for your redemption this Trey will preach about noah and and all that you've done to redeem us, we just thank you so much for that, that we can know you, and it's by your grace alone. So, uh, Lord, again, we just thank you for Larry and Vicki. Bless their membership here, and uh, help us be a blessing to them. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. <clears throat> thank you. Hey, if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and grab them at this point, and uh, turn with me to the book of Genesis. We uh, finally come to the conclusion of our series on Noah, the real story today in Genesis chapter 9, as we wrap up the account of, uh, of Noah. I don't know if you've noticed on your way in that there is a, uh, a puzzle, uh, about a thousand-piece puzzle that was put together by uh, our own Irm Tebow, and uh, she finished it just in time for us to finish uh, up Noah. So if you're on your way out, go ahead and check that out. It's, uh, it's quite, quite the puzzle. Again, Genesis chapter 9 is where we're going to be. We're going to finish off the sermons with uh, today's sermon called Cursing. It's going to be an interesting, interesting week. Uh, the, the story of Noah doesn't quite end as we would expect. So I trust that you're there. Chapter 9, we will be reading verses 18 through 29. Let's pray, and then we'll jump right in. 
Father, thank you for the morning. Thank you for these dear people who are here today to hear from you, to worship you, uh, to partake in communion, to remember what Christ has done for us, shedding his blood and having his body torn for our sins. Thank you that you did that for us, Jesus. Thank you that you offer us the gift of salvation, eternal life, forgiveness of sins, uh, new creation, reconciliation, and on and on. And that it's completely by your grace that we don't come with any merits of our own, any good deeds, but you offer us this gift. And uh, we thank you that we can receive it simply by grace. Would you be with us today, Spirit? Would you teach us from Noah and how his life ended, that ours may end a bit differently by your grace? We ask it in the name of Jesus and all of God's people said together, amen. I don't know if you've noticed, uh, if you're a particular moviegoer, maybe you enjoy going to the movies or the movie theater, or maybe you do what my wife and I do and we just watch it from Netflix after the fact. We enjoy a good movie or so. I don't know if you've noticed that there has, there's been a trend in the past decade. And that trend has really been an explosion of movies that have to deal with comic book superheroes. Have you noticed that? I mean, they are just exploding all over the place, um, which, which I enjoy, most of them. But I've also noticed within that trend of comic book superhero movies that there has been another kind of smaller trend. And as I studied and was preparing for this final lesson on Noah, this came to my mind because this trend among the superheroes in these movies as of late is that they often struggle. They often struggle. They're not your kind of typical superheroes who are always moral and always do the right thing and always above reproach, but they kind of have an internal struggle. They struggle with their own vices. And so I was, as I was thinking through uh, some of these superheroes and their struggles, uh, just a few of them came to mind. First of all, Iron Man. I don't know if you enjoyed seeing Iron Man 1, 2, and 3. Uh, they're probably my favorite of these new movies. Um, but Iron Man struggles with what? I think he struggles with severe narcissism, right? I mean, he is completely wrapped up in himself, and we see him struggling with that in the Iron Man movies. What about this guy who's next, the Hulk? I think we can all guess what his problem is, right? What does he struggle with? Anger problems, right? Okay, that one's easy. He struggles with anger problems. What about this one, Spider-Man 3? Peter Parker in Spider-Man 3 uh, struggles. The whole movie is really about his internal struggle with revenge. He struggles with revenge, so much so that he has an alien life form take him over and he becomes the evil Superman, right? He has a name, I don't know what it is, but he he becomes the evil, dark Spider-Man, right? And he struggles with revenge internally. These are just a few. You can probably think of a few others on your own. One of the things that I like most about the Bible is that it doesn't pull its punches, One of the things that I like the most about the Bible, as it talks about kind of the heroes of the faith, is that it portrays them in reality. It doesn't hide some of the nastiness of their lives. It doesn't hide their sins. It doesn't push aside their struggles. And thus far, we have been seeing a hero. You could say to some degree that Noah is the hero of this section. Of course, God is the ultimate hero. But Noah has really been portrayed in an amazing way. I mean, if you recall back to how the Bible describes Noah, right? He was a righteous man. He was blameless in his generation. And we talked about, remember, that Noah walked with what? He walked with, he walked with God, right? Only used of one other person. And so thus far, as we've looked at the life of Noah, his example to us has been a good one, right? He's been a superhero. He's been above reproach. The text emphasizes Noah's obedience, that he obeyed God in everything that God told him to do. So he has been 
an example to us. And yet, the story doesn't really end happily. It's not a happily ever after kind of a story, because we're going to see this hero of the faith, he's flawed as well. And we're going to find out that Noah is really no exception to the rule. As we look at the heroes of the faith in the Bible, that they are flawed as well. They have internal struggles. And we're going to see that in this concluding section of the life of Noah. So three parts, three parts to this sermon, if you're jotting down notes. First of all, we're going to see creation renewed. That is, creation is going to begin to be renewed as Noah's boys begin to repopulate the earth, right? Secondly, we're going to see Canaan is cursed. That is, Noah's grandson will be cursed because of his father Ham's humiliation of Noah. And that's the bulk of our text. And then third, we're going to see the curse continues. That is, sin and death continue to remain in this recreated earth. The curse continues as Noah will die. So, let's begin chapter 9, and let's start with verses 18 through 19, where we see creation is going to begin to be renewed. Let's read that together. The sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. That's important. We'll talk about it in a bit. Verse 19, these were the three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered over the whole earth. Now we get just a really brief introduction to this section, but it's a foreshadowing, it's a preview. And these two little verses foreshadow three things. Number one, it foreshadows the coming story that we're going to get next, in which Noah's three sons take center stage. So the author wants to remind us once again who these three guys were, because they are going to take center stage in just a quick minute. So it foreshadows the three sons taking center stage. But secondly, it also foreshadows Ham's upcoming sin against his father Noah. It's going to foreshadow that that Ham is going to do something wrong. He's going to do something immoral against his father Noah by showing that Israel, that is the original recipients, by showing Israel the sinful heritage of the Canaanites people who came from Ham's line. So it's a foreshadow. We learn these are going to be the three players, and Ham in particular, he's not going to do something that's good. Third, it foreshadows chapter 10. If you were to continue reading on in Genesis, chapter 10 shows us, it's called the Table of Nations by some theologians. Chapter 10 is going to show us where all the people groups after the flood, what happened of them, where they went, and how they could be traced back to these three sons, to Shem and to Ham and to Japheth. So these initial two verses serve as an introduction. One commentator describes what the author is setting up this way. So hear what he says. Uh, Dr. Wenham says this way. He says, the world seems all set for a new creation. Remember, where are we in the story, right? God judged the earth. He wiped off most animals and most people from the face of the earth. He delivered Noah and Noah's family and, and a handful of animals, right? And he is restarting, right? He's hitting the reset button on his creation. And so Wenham says, the world at this point, right now in our story, the world seems all set for a new start. The slate has been wiped clean, and we hope that the mistakes of the people before the fall will not be repeated. But but no sooner is the blessing pronounced and the eternal covenant confirmed that we saw last week than man lapses again. So here's the setup. 
Creation is ready to start again, right? We've got a new family, a righteous man, and his kids, and everything's ready to start again. And we're hoping that the mistakes that were made before the flood aren't made after the flood. But unfortunately, the sinful human nature comes into play again. And so we move from then creation being renewed to Canaan being cursed. Look at the text, starting in verse 20. Because starting in verse 20 through 27, we get the bulk of the story in this chapter where Canaan, Ham's son, is cursed by Noah because of Ham's sin against his father. Let's read the text, and then we'll work our way through it, starting in verse 20. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. Then they walked in backwards and covered their father's naked body. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their father naked. Verse 24. When Noah awoke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves will he be to his brothers. He also said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend Japheth's Japheth's territory. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be the slave of Japheth. So that is our story. That's the bulk of the account of how this prestigious, righteous, godly, obedient man, that's how his life ends. That's at least how the biblical text ends his story. Not exactly how you want to be remembered, right? Not exactly how you want your life to be remembered. Drunkenness and nakedness in the Bible are almost exclusively portrayed as a shameful thing. It's a shameful thing to be drunken, and it's a shameful thing, biblically, to be naked. And that's what's going on in the account here with Noah. We see that Noah's actions in verses 20 and 21 are looked down upon. This is not a good thing, right? We read it, and it's a shameful thing. It's a sinful thing what Noah did. And so I think we can learn some important lessons from Noah as we look at his fall, as we look at his indiscretion, as we look at his sin here in the context of his entire life, I think we can see three lessons. So if you're jotting notes, take these down. Number one, past success doesn't provide power for future victory. That is, past spiritual success, past obedience, doesn't necessarily provide power for future victory. It doesn't guarantee that you will continue to do the right thing. One pastor by the last name of Cole says it really well. He says it this way. He says, Noah is exhibit A. That is, he's exhibit A of this truth. Noah is exhibit A. He had walked with God for over 600 years. Okay, just ponder that for a moment. This man, as far as we know, had obediently walked closely with God for 600 years. He continues, In a wicked world, Noah stood alone for God. He was the only man on earth who God saw fit to save from the judgment of the flood. 
the opportunity to launch a new beginning for the human race stood before him. And what happened? He got drunk and uncovered himself within his tent. Shocking, disgraceful, unbelievable. Is this the same Noah, he writes? Past godliness doesn't guarantee future godliness. You don't build up an immunity towards sin. Neither age nor maturity provide protection against temptation. And he concludes with these words to us. We must walk in dependence upon the Lord daily. And that's a wonderful truth, I think, from the life of Noah. He had lived and been spiritually successful for all of this time. And yet, it doesn't guarantee that tomorrow you'll make the same decision. It doesn't guarantee that the next hour that you'll make God-honoring decisions that you had made for hours and days prior. We need to walk faithfully and humbly every day in dependence upon the Lord. Secondly, I think we, another, I think we can learn another lesson from Noah, and it's this. We may be most vulnerable after spiritual victory. We may be most vulnerable after a time of obedience, after a time where we made it through something and we were honoring to God. One pastor says it this way. He says, when he was surrounded by wickedness, Noah lived righteously. But when the storm was over and his family were the only ones on the earth, Noah then fell into sin. When the pressure is off, our guard comes down. Constant vigilance is the price of victory over sin. Those who live righteously before God know their own propensity towards sin and live in constant dependence upon the Lord. So not only does past success not guarantee future victory, but I think during, especially during times when we've made it through a season and we've conquered a sin, we've conquered a temptation, we're on the spiritual mountain, right? Just like I think Noah was. At that point, we may be most vulnerable, as Noah certainly was. There's one other lesson that I think we learned from Noah, and it's directly applied in this section. And that is a simple lesson. We need to beware of the dangers of alcohol. We can't not look at what Noah did and not talk about the dangers of alcohol. Now, while the Bible speaks very positively about alcohol in a lot of places, it also speaks very negatively as well. While it, it, it commends it, it also warns about its dangers. Specifically, it warns that Abuse of alcohol can lead to conflict. That abuse of alcohol can lead to violence. That abuse of alcohol can lead to poverty. That is, you spend all of your money on it. That abuse of alcohol can lead to both emotional, relational, and physical pain. Abuse of alcohol can lead to loss of control of your senses, of your mind, and of your, of your body, which is exactly what happened to Noah, right? Noah's drunk as a skunk, passed out naked in his tent. Obviously, that is a problem. Uh, Furthermore, it can lead to addictions, and it could lead to poor decisions. So this is just a warning. It's a warning. If a man like Noah can walk faithfully with God for 600 years and then fall into sin, boy, we better take heed of the dangers of alcohol. So we've seen what has happened with Noah, right? So the question that's probably running through your mind, as it was as I read this text, is what in the world is going on with Ham, right? We understand the, the sin of Noah. It's really clear. He just drank too much, and maybe he got hot, maybe he lost his mind, and off went the clothes, and there he's passed out drunk in his tent. Okay, we understand that, right? Easy enough. But what's going on with Ham? I mean, what, what's going on with Ham, right? As the text 
reads, uh, something wrong. Ham did something wrong. He did something negative to his dad. The question is, what is it? Well, let me give you three options, and then I'll save the one that I prefer for last, because I think it just simply makes the most sense. But some people, number one, what was Ham guilty of? Some people think that he was guilty of some kind of sexual act with his father. Some people think that, and they get that from the use of this phrase in Leviticus, to uh, uncover, to see someone's nakedness. That's what the text literally says. It says that he saw the nakedness of his father. And in a text in Leviticus 18 and 20, it's this phrase, to see someone's nakedness, is used euphemistically. It's used... Uh, not literally, right, to have sexual relationships with someone. And so some people read this and they say, well, uh, he had some, did kind of some kind of sexual act with his dad. And then other people say, well, no, no, no. It wasn't with his dad. It was with his mom. It was with his mom. Because there's another phrase in Leviticus 18 and Leviticus 20, and that phrase is uh, to uncover the nakedness of someone. And the text doesn't say that. The text says that Noah uncovered his own nakedness. However, they still see it as, well, he uncovered the nakedness of his dad, which means he had some kind of sexual act with his mom. So that's option one, and that's option two. I don't think either of those are true. I think the third option is the best option. And what I think was going on here was this, was that Ham disrespected his father. Ham disrespected his dad. That's what I think was going on. Uh, In that culture, to see somebody naked was a huge, shameful thing. It was taboo. And in particular, the, the leader of a family, kind of the patriarch like Noah, it would be particularly shameful to be seen naked. But not only that, but we have to look at the actions. What did Ham do? The text reads that he saw the nakedness of his father, and then he went out to tell whom? His brothers, right? He went out to tell his brothers about the nakedness of his father. And I think very clearly what he's trying to do is he's trying to gather them to make fun of, to dishonor, to disrespect his father. So when the text says that Ham saw the nakedness of his father, it literally means with his eyes he saw it. That's simple. Notice, what did the brothers do? They didn't want to do the sin of Ham, so what did they do? Remember, they turned around. If, if he's there, they turned around and they got some kind of a blanket or something and they put it on their shoulders. And what did they do? They walked backwards, covered their father so that they would not do what? Literally see their father to shame and to disrespect him. So I think that's the most obvious interpretation. And if that's the case, then we can learn another lesson. Not only can we learn lessons from Noah, but I think we can learn lessons from the sin of Ham. And I'd like to suggest this lesson. We need to beware of gloating over the misfortune of others. I think we need to beware of gloating, making fun of, puffing up ourselves over the misfortune of others. Because I think at the heart of Ham's sin was this. He was gloating. He wanted to get his brothers to join in in gloating over this once righteous man who had fallen into sin. That's what I believe he was doing, and we need to be careful of it as well. So let me ask you a question. How do you respond to the sins and the failings of others? Do you respond with delight? Do you respond with a sense of superiority? 
Do you respond by maybe spreading the story to others so that you and they can revel in this person's failure? I think the harsh truth, if we were honest, is that many of us love to hear about the demise of other people instead of grieving and being broken over it. So we need to beware of gloating over the misfortune of others. So let me, let me have a bit of a confession time. Even Pastor Sin, it's hard to believe, the Pastor Sin. And uh, so as I was talking with Shelly, and maybe it was several weeks ago, I don't specifically recall, but I believe what was going on is that I was flipping through the channels, and it was football season, college football season. It's coming. So in a few weeks, we're going to have college football, my favorite time of year. And I think I was watching, and I was flipping through, and I happened to see on one of the stations that the University of Texas was in a football game. And this is something that I have always done, confession time. When I see that the University of Texas is playing football, now, just just reminder, I went to the other university, the good one, Texas A&M University. So don't get them confused. We're the Aggies. They're the Longhorns. Good, bad. Righteous, evil, just keep it in mind, okay? Um, So that's the school I went to, and I I saw the University of Texas playing football. And do you know what I did? And do you know what I've done since I can remember? I sat down, and I watched that football game. And Shelly says, why are you watching Texas? You don't don't like them. It's not A&M. And I said, that's precisely why I'm watching them, because I want to see them what? Lose. Oh, boy, I want to see them lose. And she said, you will sit down and watch or something to this effect. I don't quote you. But the, 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 the conversation went this way. You'll sit and you will watch a team that you don't like just to see if they will lose so that you can revel in their loss? And I was like, yes. <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> you got it. And so then that really kind of started a theological conversation. <sighs> You know, that's how it goes in my house. A theological conversation. Is this right? Can you really wish ill upon your enemies? And I'm like, well, I don't know. Jesus said something about that, but it doesn't count for sports, does it? Does it really? I don't know. And so, you know, and here I am trying to justify, you know, why I can revel in the demise of a 4-8 and eight horrible Texas football team. Just saying, they were pretty bad last year. Uh, so, you know, and, and so she caught me. I'm like... I don't know if I can do this anymore because I can't prove you wrong that it's wrong, you know? So, you know, we struggle. We we do this, I think. It's inherent in us to gloat over the misfortune of others. That's what Ham was doing, and we really need to watch it. So, third. There's a third lesson, and it's from the other two brothers. We've seen a lesson from Noah, and we've seen a lesson from Ham, but I think there's a lesson from the other two brothers, from Shem and from Japheth, and it's this. It's important to honor your parents, even if they failed. It's important to honor and respect your parents, even if they failed. So kids, this is your application, right? Here's, here's, a, here's a warning. Your mom and dad will fail. <laughs> your mom and dad will make mistakes. Your mom and dad will sin. <clears throat> and they need to repent and be forgiven, both by God and by you. But they will fail. We're human beings and we fail. And yet, there's still that scripture, honor your mom and your dad, right? The first scripture with promise. And so we can take, kids, you can take an example from these two guys, from funny named guys, Shem and Japheth. They respected their mom and dad, even when they made a mistake. But it's not just applicable to kids, okay? Those of us who are adults and we have parents that are older than us, obviously maybe aging parents, we have to ask ourselves, do we honor them when they fail, right? 
you fail, but what about your mom and dad? Do you honor them when they fail? Maybe they don't respond like you would like when you share some information with you. Maybe they just have a, a prevailing sin habit and it just irritates you. Do you give them grace? Do you still respect them and honor them like these two guys did even when they fail? So we've seen a couple things. The creation begins to be renewed, right? We've seen Canaan is cursed. Thirdly, in verses 28 through 29, we see that God's curse on the earth and on all of humanity continues. Verses 28 through 29. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. Noah lived a total of 950 years. And then he what, church? And then he died. And that's how the story of Noah ends. And so it's like there's this sin. God records the sin of Noah. He lives 350 more years, and we don't know a lick about it. We don't know what happened in those 350 years. All we know is that he lived 350 years more. He lived a total of, of, of 950, and then he died. And it's, a, it's an echo, because remember, when we began the story of Noah, we looked at the genealogy of chapter 5, right? From Adam until Noah, and there was one resounding theme. Do you remember? And he what? Died. And he died. And so here we have a recreation, right? God is starting over, and yet the curse is still what? It's still active. It's still in existence. God recreated the earth and started over, but humanity still sins, right? We still mess up. The problem is not fixed. It's just better than what it was before, right? It's better than what it was, but it's still not good. There is still sin in the world. As one theologian, James Montgomery Boyce he, he, he hits the nail on, on the head when he says of this passage, the point of this story, that is Noah's sin, the point of this story and the whole of Genesis is not merely that anyone can fall, but that everyone does. Everyone falls. Everyone falls, everyone sins, and everyone dies. You could say that humanity still needed a human being to break the curse. Humanity still needed that promised Savior to crush the head of the serpent as promised in Genesis 3.15. Humanity still needed someone to be the real hero, to live in perfect obedience, not like Noah, though he was a righteous man. We needed someone to live perfectly for us, to overcome the curse of sin and death for us. We needed the real hero. And of course we know who that is, church, right? We know that that is Jesus the one who did this, the greater Noah. He is the perfect hero. He is the one who perfectly lived. He was righteous and he never sinned. There was never a flaw. There was never a failing like we see in the superheroes of the movies today. He was perfectly obedient to God in every way. And he died in our place. He rose from the dead. He defeated the death. He defeated death and sin for us. And so we're going to close our time together by doing this. We're going to take communion together. You've seen the elements are here on the table in front of you. And what we're going to do is take a few minutes just to reflect, to consider, to evaluate our lives. Um, If you are a believer, if you have professed faith in Jesus and you're born again, then we want to invite you to partake in this ceremony of remembrance. We remember that Jesus' blood was spilt for us with the the juice, and we remember that his body was was torn, was shed for our sins uh, by partaking in the bread. And so if you're a Christian, we invite you to partake. If you are unsure of that, if you don't profess faith in Christ, or you're uncertain, we invite you to not, as this is something that believers do to remember what Christ 
has done for us. So we're going to have a few minutes, just a, a moment of silence. And when the music plays, I invite you to come when you're prepared. And when you come, please form two lines. We've got two areas here. So please form two lines. Exit this way. And when you're done, uh, the service is done for you. So thanks for coming. Let's pray, and then we'll partake in communion together.